you know, I just realized, uh, man, I'm never going to be any good at this because I don't care about it. I'm not thinking about it. I have no passion for it. And, you know, I, if I do something, I, you know, I want to be the best at it. Welcome to Path to Purpose. I'm your host, Jackson. Join me as I interview inspiring individuals to hear how they discovered their purpose and found the courage to pursue it. Today's guest is Thomas Wynn, co-founder and owner of Peli Peli, one of Houston's top-rated restaurants. Thomas started off his career as a lawyer handling commercial litigation cases day in, day out. He was miserable, but didn't say too much to his friends or family because he felt that he was already very fortunate and didn't want to come off as a one percenter complaining about first world problems. The turmoil he experiences is highly relatable for many listeners in quote-unquote good jobs, and that's exactly why I love his story. Let's find out how this Asian-American attorney became a restaurateur in South African cuisine. I was born in Chicago, but we moved to Houston, Texas in 1979, and uh, my parents have been there ever since. I, I was I was raised in a wonderful suburb of Katy, Texas, um, outside of Houston, and um, I was a I was a nerd. I mean, I, I remember when I was young, I carried an almanac around. I was fascinated by trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved animals. Um, and I was just really close to my parents. You know, I, I was a introvert for sure. And, um, you know, <laughs> a pretty normal kid. I, I yeah. stayed out of trouble for the most part, uh, mostly because I, I was always, I was a pretty scared kid, didn't have a lot of confidence and a little socially awkward. And did that continue throughout kind of middle school and high school as well? Uh, yes, um, definitely in middle school and, and high school. I had the same kind of uh, influence that most Asian American kids have. You know, my parents just wanted the best for me. And they, they, they wanted me to be a doctor pretty much from the day I was born, wow. it felt like. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my, I remember... There was a doctor with my same name and my dad, you know, pretty much made him give him his jacket. He, <laughs> he wanted to see, you know, the sight of my name on a, on a doctor's jacket just kind of, you know, made him so happy. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I wanted to get that for my parents. I just didn't right. have an interest in science. I hated science. I tried to volunteer uh, at Katie Medical Center in high school and I lasted one day. So. Um, you know, from, you know, I figured, okay, if it's not going to be a doctor, then I'm going to be a lawyer because I wanted to please my parents. And it sounded like a great path to be on. But other than that, I didn't have any uh, strong interests or, or I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And so you get to college. What do you study there? And what was your experience like? Did you enjoy what you were studying? Were you excited about this potential path? Uh, so that's one of the things that uh, kind of annoy me still. You know, I wasted a lot of time because I got a lot of bad advice. You hear a lot of people throw around terms like I'm pre-law this and pre-law that. It doesn't really exist, at least not at the University of Texas mm. at Austin. And so, you know, I got in, instead of, you know, going into business or something like that, I, you know, I went, I did like, um, I, I went. I did everything from uh, psychology to, uh, you know, I was always in liberal arts for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't a political science 
degree. It was very like kind of pre-law focused when it was, there wasn't really a need for it. In the late 90s for law school, they really only cared about two things, your LSAT score and your GPA. You know, I realized that uh, in my sophomore year and I said, listen, if that's the case, then I'm going to pick a major that um, I really enjoy. And I enjoyed writing. So I ended up majoring in journalism. Nice. And and besides your major in, in journalism, what were the other aspects of your college experience like? Um, I actually had the uh, opportunity to, to help found Omega Phi Gamma, which is the largest Asian interest fraternity in the state of Texas. Uh, and it, you know, that was made up a big part of my, my college experience. One, it changed me as a person. I think I, yeah. I, I finally found myself in college. You know, like, as I mentioned before, I was extremely socially awkward and shy and, and growing up, I didn't have a lot of friends, never had a girlfriend, anything. And so, mm-hmm. you know, going into, uh, college and, and meeting this group of guys uh, who I'm still best friends with um, and being able to create this environment that allowed and encouraged other guys like myself to come out of their shell, uh, to be uh, encouraged to strive to be better men, to become better leaders, to prepare ourselves for life after college. It was an environment since I was able to participate in its creation um, that allowed me to come out of my shell and, and help me uh, have the support around me necessary um, to become the best version of myself. It sounds like you had a really awesome college experience. You had this strong network of brothers in your fraternity. You, you know, found journalism, which was a major that you really enjoyed. Um, what did you do after college? Well, right after college, I went straight into law school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I went to the University of Texas School of Law. Yeah. Uh, with my best friend, uh, Shinlei Liu. Um, and so very, very exciting at that point. And then I spent, you know, three years at the school yeah. making sure that I graduated. Um, when you went to law school on day one, like, was that very different from what you imagined and hoped for? Or was it pretty much aligned with what you were envisioning? I realized that this probably wasn't for me and I didn't belong. I think when I first stepped into law school and then you're surrounded, I think it's one of the biggest uh, things. um, It it was a bit of a rude awakening for me because, you know, then, then you get thrown into an environment where, you know, then, then the bar raises quite dramatically. Right. And not only are you dealing, you know, with a lot of kids that just graduated undergrad work very hard or very smart. You're competing against them, but then you're also competing like any graduate program against mm-hmm. adults who have taken time off, who know exactly what they want, um, are, are even more driven and more hungry than you. And you're competing against them in class day in and day out. Yeah. And, and I wasn't prepared for that, to be honest with you. I was humbled, humbled to totally. say the least. And so it's, it seems like you knew pretty early on in your law school experience that maybe it wasn't for you. Do you think it was because of just the pure academic pressure or was it the actual nature of law and the content that you were studying that made you realize that? I think it was a combination of both. I don't think um, there's a lot about the field of law that excites me. Uh, you know, I think I, I, I learned that I'm more of a creative person. I think, in a, in, 
you know, if I had a redo, I'd probably be in advertising or marketing mm-hmm. or public relations. You know, we all have different attributes that, you know, uh, pertain to different fields. You know, it's more about the right fit. And yeah. I don't think the field of law was a good fit for me. Totally. And I think you make a really good point, which is, I think a lot of people would benefit from taking like a gap year after their, their undergrad, if they don't know for sure that grad school is, ex- is exactly what they want, because that can really help somebody figure out what, what, what is their path, right, that they want to take rather than jumping from, you know, the frying pan into the deep fryer. I don't even know if that's the expression. <laughs> right. Um, no, I mean, that's exactly right. And, and it's not, I don't recommend like a gap year just to sit, you know, in the living room and watch right, TV. Right. You know, I think if I had, if I could do things over again, um, you know, it would have been nice to, you know, done some apprenticeship or, you know, uh, done some more uh, kind of in-depth, like, uh, internship, you know, work experience, yeah, work experience, you know, exactly. You know, it's, it, there's a year it would have been, it would have been useful. I mean, I, I, maybe I would have interned at an advertising firm or something that I I really liked at that point before I got, I, you know, before I start this journey on law school, because once you start that journey, you're kind of stuck for a period of time, unless you do something crazy dramatic, which I had to do, you know, at 27. Yeah. So, you know, I, I could have saved a lot of time there. Um, but again, you know, Jackson, I, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. You know, if you ask me like, well, if, if you could change everything, would you? I'm not sure. I'm still hesitant because at the same time, I am very proud of my accomplishment. Right. Completing, having a law degree. I think it did help me early on in terms of opening doors for me in kind of beginning Pelly Pelly. I think, People looked at me and talked with me a little bit differently because I had accomplished a certain thing. Even today, uh, my background, when I talk to people, there's a little bit more, uh, I don't know if respect's the right word, but, you know, uh, you know, there's a little bit more of a validation in terms of uh, the trust there. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I mean, those three years did not sound easy, but you grinded through it kind of for your own sake and for your parents' sake as well. Um, And after you graduated from law school, I assumed you went on to become a lawyer. And how long did you stay in that profession? Yes, I took the bar, passed the bar, practiced for three years. And what were those three years like? Did you specialize in a specific type of law? I did commercial litigation, insurance, defense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I hated, I hated it. Um, It just, you know, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the work and the firm and, and everything. It was great. It was still a, 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 an experience, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was able to spend time and able to finally convince myself this, this wasn't for me. And, you yeah. know, you don't, sometimes you don't know that until you're doing it. And so, you know, I just realized, uh, man, I'm never going to be any good at this because I don't care about it. I'm not thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, if I'm not there, I don't want to think about it. I have no passion for it. And, you know, I, if I do something, I, you know, I want to be the best at it. Right. And so that scared me because the last thing I wanted to be was a mediocre attorney. Yeah. And that I was like, this is, this is not going to happen. And what, what did your average day look like if, if you had an average day as, as a lawyer? Like what things were you doing? How were you spending your time? What, what, what exactly was making you so unhappy? Uh, you know, every attorney has like their own kind of like caseload. Mm. And, 
you know, there's different deadlines and everything for each case, and they just kind of like uh, stack on top of each other. And so for me, it was like, it was never ending because it was just over and over and over. There was like never an end. Like you could never, you know, once one case ends, you're in the middle of another case or you have another case. And it's just over and over. And this, this kind of rinse and repeat was driving me crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and it shouldn't. I mean, this is a very normal process for an attorney, an attorney who has any kind of love or passion for what they do. It's, it's, it is what it is. There's nothing wrong with it. It's exciting, actually. Right. Um, a lot of people will say that about restaurants. I mean, that the day in and day out grind of it, you know, uh, would drive you crazy, and it will drive you crazy if, if you don't have the uh, a drive or passion for what you do. Um, yeah. I could absolutely see that with restaurants. It's it's a it's you're you're an idiot if you want to be a restaurateur. I mean, you know, no one in their right mind would want to do that unless you are just driven and you have a love for it. Yeah. I love what you said earlier, Thomas, about, you know, you wanted to be a great lawyer, but it's hard to be great at something when you are unhappy with what you're doing. Um, so towards those end of those three years, what was the turning point? What made you make the decision to stop being a lawyer? Was there a single event? I wouldn't say there was a single event. Uh, it was just a culmination of you know, realizing that I wasn't ever going to be that great at this mm. job. Um, it was a combination of, I, I've, you know, one of the things that my, my mom instilled in me, um, you know, and I, they, they may not admit this, maybe it was indirect, but my parents, like many of our parents, gave up a lot for me to have this life that I have. And I was reminded of that every single day growing up because I saw it. Yeah. I mean, I saw, you know, how hard my dad worked. I saw how much my mom sacrificed. And you don't really appreciate it until you, as you get older and you're like, man, my mom would go to work. She would take me to karate practice. She would sit there with the book, take me home, cook me dinner, help me with my homework, go to sleep and get up and do the same thing every day. Right. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't even know what work pressure she dealt she dealt with because she never shared it with me because it wasn't in, you know like you know my dad would work fourteen hour days doing hard labor yeah. I never saw him I mean I'd see him when he came home in the morning you know and it's like for me I'm like man I think it stuck with me to the point where I'm like you know what um, man I can't slog through this mediocre job or life I mean my parents gave up too much for me at least you got to try, man, you know? And so I was always kind of in that mindset that like, man, I'm going to, I got to be happy. If I'm miserable, then my parents basically wasted time. Right. And that's how I looked at it. Um, And that's kind of what drove me. I was like, dude, okay. So you went to UT, so you finished, you got a law degree. That doesn't mean you're stuck. And I, you know, I grappled with that for a, a, a while yeah. and I was like, well, am I being wasteful? Am I throwing this away? Like, what am I going to do? Um, but, you know, I mean, three years was enough time for me to, to reach the breaking point and say, man, bucket, just, I mean, you got to start from scratch. If you don't do it now, you're not going to do it later when you have potentially a wife and kids and, yeah. um, you know, now's the time and 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 i was you know unfortunately i had people around me that believed in me and supported me and 
you know, that's all I really, really needed at the time to, to make that plunge. Right. I think it's super interesting what you said about your parents. And I think a lot of people might resonate with this, which is the previous generation worked so hard to provide us with what we have. And maybe when we see and when we hear about that, it, it instills in us a kind of guilt, right? Like we have these great opportunities and education. Did you feel a guilt towards um, feeling unhappy in your job? And do you think that made you stay longer than you perhaps would have? 100%. 100%. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling guilty. It's a, it's a, it's a legitimate human response. I mean, you know, I, I did, you know, I felt like I owed them to an extent. That's what motivated me to finish law school to begin with. I wanted to give them something. And I felt like that wasn't a lot for them to ask, you right. know, because a lot of people are like, well, why did you just leave? If you didn't like it, why didn't you just leave? Well, it's not that easy. You know, if you're growing up and your parents want this singular thing, and at the same time, I loved them so much, I wanted them uh, to be proud of me, you know? And, and, and so I was like, well, you know, fuck, I'm, I'm going to finish this for sure. No yeah. question. Um, and you know, the, my graduation day, the pictures, the way they looked at me, the way they, I mean, they were so happy and I'll never forget that. And it, it made mm-hmm. it all worth it. And so, but as you get older, you're like, okay, I can't keep doing this. I, I also still have to be happy and, you know, I have to make this life worth living to myself. Right. right, um, right. And part of it's guilt. Part of it is also obligation. Um, but I mean, sometimes those sound like ugly words. I don't think they are, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, guilt can be good if it makes you realize there are some changes that need to happen. I have to figure out what I want to do to not only be extremely good at it, but to create a life for myself, to not only provide for myself, but just to be happy. And I think at that point, I can look at my parents and, um, you know, understand that what they gave up was worth it. Yeah. Uh, and that's all. That's a that's a lifelong proposition. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, what did you do after you quit your uh, law job? Uh, it was a very dark time for me. I was kind of wandering around, figuring out what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, I loved marketing, branding, and, and, and PR. I just didn't go to school for it, so I didn't know what I was going to do. No one's going to hire me, uh, and so I ended up working for. Uh, a friend of mine um, at the time who had a, a technology company and, and helped him do marketing, branding, and PR for his company and try to prove to myself whether I could pull this off or not. Yeah. How did you know that you liked marketing and branding? Um, the only reason I knew that was because that's what I did as social chair for our fraternity. <laughs> that's really oh, wow. That really, if I didn't have that, that's all I was like so grateful for the fraternity because if I didn't do that, how would I even know? Yeah. I, yes, I did. I, I, I was in, you know, future business leaders of America in high school and I, I won state championship for, you know, a business graphics, which involved advertising. That was like the initial seed, but yeah, uh, to actually do it, like I loved everything about being a social chair. I loved planning events. I loved raising money. I loved the whole promotion side of it, making the coolest party flyers. I think we're extremely innovative at the time, you know, getting people to take us seriously and, and give us credibility uh, for the type of parties that we grew through or the type of fraternity we were, all of that 
you know, I was able to kind of work on that, how we looked, um, what, how we represented ourselves, yeah. you know, um, and I didn't realize at the time, it just, at the time it, it just fascinated me, you know, our colors should look a certain way or, you know, our, what we give out to, to the general public should, you know, look a certain way. What we say about ourselves yeah. should be this because we're trying to convey a certain message and, you know, our brand is a little bit different this way and, you know, our parties have to look this way. And mm -hmm. I mean, like, you don't realize what you're doing at the time. You just think, hey, man, this is still a party. Make sure people love it and have the best time. Um, but, you know, for me, that was, I, I, I enjoyed the elements of what came together to make that happen. Um, and that was really the only experience I had. I know it sounds super silly for anyone that's going to listen to this, but, um, you know, that was the only reason why I was like, mm, maybe I should do right. something that involves, you know, marketing or, or branding or PR. Um, I think that's pretty amazing to hear that you were able to think back to your college days and it wasn't even about your major or your classes, but it was about, right. you know, this extracurricular activity that you were doing that made you realize, hey, this is something that you really like and could potentially turn into a career. You know, the idea of building an entire brand is definitely very transferable across any industry. Right. And, and it's also your interest, too. I was always, I don't know why, I was always fascinated with how companies marketed themselves. Like I would think, I would always take joy and I would notice like, oh my God, this, this marketing, uh, you know, campaign is genius. Or, you know, I remember uh, when God Milk came out and we used that for a party flyer. And I mean, all these different things, I was like, oh, gee, I mean, like I loved how Nike grew his brand and I would pay attention to certain, you know, why I wanted to wear, you know, Under Armour as opposed to another brand. You know, yeah, I remember yeah. when, Ar I remember when Under Armour came out, uh, I was like, this brand, I love everything that they're doing, how they're competing with Nike, how they're separating themselves with, I mean, I loved it all. So, you know, that was also a part of it. Um, and so when the opportunity came to create a brand new concept, and guess what? The food is something that people don't know anything about. Um, how do we market that to the masses? That, what, that part was like super exciting for me. By reflecting on his experience founding Omega Phi Gamma, Thomas realized that his involvement in what appeared to be just another extracurricular social activity was actually evidence of a strong interest and ability in marketing and brand building. But how did that lead him to open a restaurant, and one specializing in South African cuisine at that? Uh, I made, I met my, one of my partners, um, he was a South African chef and he had always wanted to start South African, um, do a South African restaurant for the masses. You know, there's not a lot of South African restaurants in the United States. Mm -hmm. Outside the U.S., there's Nando's, which was an inspiration for us. They focus on peri-peri chicken. And, you know, for us, um, you know, we wanted to be that concept similar to, you know, PF Chang's in the sense of taking an unfamiliar cuisine and putting it in an environment for the mainstream to enjoy. Um, that, you know, we wanted to be that concept that truly defines South African cuisine and, and sauces and seasonings here in America. And, you know, we've been on that journey uh, ever since. And so, you know, that's how I started, you know, meeting my partner who's a South African chef. How did you meet your business partner? And at that point, 
did you already know a lot about South African cuisine or was it still relatively unfamiliar to you? I had no, had no idea about South African cuisine. Wow. Uh, yeah, nothing. Um, my, I always kid around. My only introduction to South Africa was uh, Lethal Weapon 2 because I think the bad guy was, <laughs> you know, a South African, right? I mean, that's, right, how, right. that's how little I knew of the country. And so for me, I was, I was the perfect consumer because I am that consumer. I don't know anything about it. And, you know, I met uh, my partner. He was looking for a restaurant point of sale. The company that I was doing marketing for was, mm. offered restaurant point of sale. And so that's how I met him. And he had um, a few restaurants at the time focusing on pizza. And I just loved, you know, what he did with it. Um, yeah. He made pizza, pizza interesting. And so, you know, that, and I love food. I mean, I, you know, I've always, you know, everyone loves to eat. And I was always, I mean, I love, I love eating. I love food. I'm fascinated by it. And so, you know, that, you know, a new cuisine that I hadn't tried before that I was discovering was amazing and had so many different flavors because there's so many different influences that make up South Africa. Yeah. Um, you know, it was at that point in my life, couldn't, there couldn't be anything more exciting than that. But you didn't have any experience in, you didn't have any professional experience in branding or marketing and you didn't None. know the cuisine. What made you make that decision to say, Hey, let's do this. Um, probably ignorance and, <laughs> and, and being naive. Um, yeah. I mean, I, if you, at the time I've never, I had never even worked in a restaurant before. Mm. Um, I hadn't taken any marketing class on paper. I'm the last person that should, be a partner in this venture um it it, it didn't make any sense <laughs> I, I think when I, I that's why when i told my parents they absolutely went ape shit because they didn't <laughs> like what like what are you talking about you know what, you, like my mom was probably like why would you well, you're like the last person that should do this like, right why would right you, you know um um the only reason i think is just because i think my partner saw um you know how passionate I was about uh, marketing and branding. He heard of a lot of the ideas that I thought we should do in executing. This is what I would do for an unknown, you know, for South African cuisine to make it more kind of relatable because I'm that person. Right. Um, and I figured if I could, if it, if I could pitch it to where I would want to try it, then it might work with the general public. But again, it was it was everyone took a chance here. I mean, and I, I think it was a combination of just. You know him seeing how passionate I was. Um, you know, and again, you know him having me having some credibility that you know I've shown in my past life that I'm able to execute and I have some at least some standard of willing to work for something. And I think that's that's part of kind of how having that law degree indirectly helps me at the time. And so, and and really, not a lot of people understood it. My friends obviously supported me, and they're like, you know what? sounds pretty crazy but you know we believe in you and um you know my my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife i mean uh she i'm sure she gave me a weird look as well when i told her yeah um but you know she was like i mean she believed in me and that's that's all you really need sometimes is uh, you know a couple people to really support you no matter what happens and you know that's that's all i really needed yeah that's all i needed to make that decision and what was the process like for, you know, getting the brand stood up and opening up your first restaurant? It must have been a lot of work. 
Uh, incredibly difficult. I mean, we spent over a year just doing uh, taste testing and, 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 and R&D. I mean, yeah. you know, what, what would our first menu look like? And you have to be very careful about that because there weren't a lot of South African restaurants. I think mm. one thing that we, 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 we kind of hypothesized early on was I think uh, a lot of the restaurants that were South African that started off were maybe 100% authentic. And people may not have been familiar with the, the actual names uh, the way they were presented maybe wasn't, it didn't kind of match what American cuisine looked like. And so you had, you know, words that were unfamiliar, plates that were unfamiliar. And, and, and keep in mind, I mean, America in 2009, the consumer was not as open, educated, adventurous as they are now. I mean, right. we're, we're talking about the beginning of Facebook around the time, you know, um, you know, people how much information they got from the internet, you know, what kind of shows were on TV about food and cuisine. A lot has dramatically changed in the last decade. And so, you know, 2009, I think, you know, we had to be very careful about how we, you know, you, you get one shot at this, right? And yeah. So, you know, if it doesn't work, we're, we're, we're closing, we're filing bankruptcy. It's a very ugly situation. So we, we had to be very careful about it. So we spent a lot of time on R&D. You know, what are we going to call it? You know, what, what are we going to have on the menu? Um, you know, where are we going to open? Um, how's it going to look? I mean, everything had to be the right environment so that people would want to come. And, and throughout that process, what do you think was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself in opening up this restaurant? Uh, it was because I wanted something so badly, how hard I was willing to work for it and how much I was yeah. willing to get up. Right. You know, um, <clears throat> I was, let me see, uh, 2009 when we opened, 11, I was about 33 at the time. And so, you know, you're faced with the reality that, man, if this doesn't work out, you're filing bankruptcy and you're, you know, you're moving back in with your parents and you're having to press reset. Mm -hmm. That's a very difficult proposition for someone to have in their early 30s are you willing to press reset at this point? You know, that's uh, extremely, extremely scary. And, 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 you know, I was willing to do that. And so, um, you know, it, it was me understanding how much I, I wanted this and, and how, how hard I'm willing to work for this. Yeah. And, you know, that first year we only, we almost closed three times. Um, wow. You know, it was, oh, it was uh, so scary. Um, so stressful. Um, but again, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up that experience for the world because, you know, it, it made me a stronger person. Um, and, you know, obviously part of who I am today. I think a lot of listeners would probably be able to relate to that because I think one of the biggest fears that people have about switching careers is they don't want to lose progress, right? Whether that means right. letting their degree go to waste, whether that means letting their years of accumulated promotions go to waste. Um, but if somebody is unhappy and, and trying to think about changing their path, what advice would you give to them in trying to make that decision of quote unquote, losing their progress? Well, I, I think we have to think of things as a whole. I mean, I think a lot of us when we grew up, you know, we're off to the races in terms of life success, right? And, you know, 
when you're 20, you don't think that, I mean, you think you're going to be retired when you're 40, right? Like your, 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 your perspective is a little bit different. And, you know, what I learned later on in life, because I started doing marathons and Ironmans and triathlons and, you know, I realized that, man, and it's so cliche, but, you know, it's not, you know, life is, this is not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon. Right. Um, and so, you know, even though you may think it's late and you're wasting a lot of progress, I mean, my advice is, I mean, for most of us, we have, you know, 60 to 80 years on this life. And a lot of what we do in our forties and fifties will dictate how we finish. And so, you know, yes, it will be harder to make a, a life change in your 40s. I, I wouldn't argue that. But, you know, if, if a lot of the listeners are, you know, in their, I mean, if you're in your 20s, it should be no question. Um, if you're in your 30s, obviously, and you have a family and, you know, you have to kind of weigh the balance of stability and all these different things. But I certainly don't think it's too late. I mean, a lot of people, um, you know, making the right life change, putting yourself in a position to, uh, in a job that you can be better at and more successful with more happiness, um, you're going to achieve success faster than you did in a job that you didn't really care about. I can almost guarantee you that. And that's, you know, that's kind of one way for people to kind of understand, you know, why I should, why I would be willing to kind of make that change. Thomas, I want to ask you, what are some of your favorite South African dishes from Peli Peli? Oh man. I, you know, Chef Ryan uh, Stewart, uh, who's my partner and uh, the executive chef, and I mean, his food is so good. He owns 20 restaurants in South Africa still, and wow. that was some of the best South African food I had in my life. Like, you know, for me, I eat at Peli Peli almost every day, um, <laughs> and I have, it's been 11 years. I mean, yeah. you've got to love the restaurant to be able to do that. Right, right. And, you know, I think it's just because we have so much variety, and, and, and it, it's not one note. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we have... Indian inspired curries, you know, we have Mm -hmm. Portuguese inspired steaks and I mean, there's just so, and then we have things like wings, but they're, you know, peri peri seasoning. So they have a certain flavor profile that I can't find anywhere else. I mean, I, I eat our fish all the time. I eat our (laughs) wings, our steaks. I mean, I really go around the whole menu. Obviously uh, I'm a huge fan of my restaurant, even Mm -hmm. though I'm biased, but (laughs) you know, I, 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 if people don't believe me, I mean, I still eat it every day and I don't have to. Thomas, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Um, how can listeners find out more about you or get food from Peli Peli? My email is thomas at pelipeli.com. That's P-E-L-I-P-E-L-I.com. Um, my Instagram is South African Asian. And our restaurants is Peli Peli South African Kitchen. We're located in Houston. Uh, we currently have two locations at the Galleria Mall and next to the Woodlands Mall. The website is www.pellipelli.com. And, you know, please, you know, we've been around for 11 years in Houston, one of the best reviewed restaurants in Houston here. And I'm glad that <clears throat> we represent what makes Houston so exciting, the diversity. So next time you're in Houston, pay us a visit, shoot me an email. We'd love to, uh, to meet you guys. Thomas's story reminds us of a few important things. It's not wrong to pursue your happiness. He made his family very proud with the coveted degree and job, but like he eventually said, he had to make life worth living for himself. Secondly, 
don't limit your thinking to your academic major or your past work experience. When he was evaluating his options, what stood out to him was building what would become the largest Asian interest fraternity in Texas. Once you have those experiences in mind, try to distill them down to their essence. For Thomas, founding the fraternity could be boiled down to building a brand. And lastly, clicking reset does not mean wasting years of time, because even though he stopped being a lawyer, his experience evidenced his work ethic and his degree gave him credibility when getting resources for his restaurant. Next time I'm in Houston, I'll definitely be hitting up Peli Peli. I would love to hear what your takeaways were from this story and feature them in a future episode. To do that, or to leave questions or suggestions, you can email me at pathtopurposepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, it's a tongue twister. Catch you on the next episode.